Amen. You can remain standing. Some of y'all, that's the most exercise you've got all week. Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. Isaiah chapter 64. You're there, say amen. amen. Verse number one, the Bible says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. I want to preach for a little bit on that thought, rend the heavens. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, as we enter into a season of revival that we have scheduled, or we know that you can't schedule a revival, you can schedule a meeting, you can schedule services, you can schedule a preacher. But Lord, we know that you cannot schedule a revival. But Lord, this morning we are asking if you could to please Allow us to experience a move of God during these, these services. Lord, I have done my best to try and preach the last couple of weeks messages that I felt would prepare our hearts and our minds for whatever it is that you have for us. But this morning, Lord, we ask you again. We ask you with a heart, Lord, that is tender and a heart that is searching for you to rend the heavens. I pray, God, that you would condition and prepare the hearts of your people. Lord, for the messages that you have lined up over the next few days. Lord, as Brother Ingram comes in here each service, we pray that you would give him the messages that we stand in need of. We pray, God, that you would help us to come in hungry and desiring a move of God. Bless us this morning as I try my best. Lord, it never seems like, no matter how much I prepare, that I'm ready to preach the Word of God. But I pray this morning that you would do a work to prepare our hearts for this service today at 11 o'clock and the revival this week. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I have been looking at these verses for probably close to a week. I am... To be honest with you, struggling to verbalize, struggling to put into words what's in my heart. I know this, after being saved 46 years, I've never desired a moving of God more than I do right now. I've had the opportunity, I've had the privilege to be in some meetings where God showed up. I'm talking about in, a, in an amazing way. I'm talking about red letter days, days and meetings, Brother Gene, that stick up in my mind. As I look back over all the years of going to church, there are some times when God just did some things. We would say down south where God would show up and show out. And I believe that it's important this morning as we enter into this season of revival, I believe that it is important that our church be unified 
in our pursuit of God. We're going to have a lot of moving. Buses are coming in. A lot of people sitting down. It's not as interesting as you think it is to watch them all the way to their pew. But in these verses, we find several statements that I really want to draw attention to. I, I had a PowerPoint, and I'm not going to use it this morning because I don't want to be bound to my notes. But the first thing that I notice in this verse is the prayer that is worded. The prayer actually starts back in chapter 63. Verse number seven and following, we find some interesting statements, some powerful Statements. We find some, some verses. Brother Stevens, if y'all could keep all the people that come in in the back, put them in a the balcony for the rest of the Sunday school, I'd appreciate it. He says in verse number seven of chapter 63, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord. According to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercy and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. And his love and his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and he carried them all the days of old. We see the goodness of God the loving kindness of God, the patience of God, and the mercies of God. You get to verse number 10, it says, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Just the other day, Brother Josh Etzinger preached on quenching the Spirit, talked about putting out that fire. The Bible says they rebelled and they vexed his Holy Spirit. If Lot, as backslid as he was, if Lot, as, as carnal as he was, was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, how much more would a thrice holy God be vexed by the disobedience and the sin in the lives of his children? The Bible says they, were, they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. That's some strong words. Verse number 11, then he remembered the days of old. Woo. The book of Psalms says he remembered that they were but flesh. Well, we could preach for about a month on verse 7 all the way down to verse number 19. But I want to get to that first statement in chapter 64, verse number 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. What a statement. The prayer that is worded in Isaiah 64 starts out with, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. By the way, I don't have the ability to rend the heavens. Huh? I mean, if the heavens are going to be rent, God's got to be the one to do it. The windows of heaven being shut up in the scriptures, always a type and a picture of judgment, the judgment of God. In 2 Chronicles 7, God said to Solomon, that if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. God did that on numerous occasions in the Old Testament. Shut up the heavens. Remember this, in the days of Elijah, shut up the heavens for three and a half years, there was no rain. God shut the heavens. That's a type and a picture of the judgment, the displeasure of God towards his people. The prayer for God to rend the heavens in these verses are significant. And there are several things. We could go to a host of scriptures and look at them this morning. Amazing things happen in the Bible when God opens the heavens. 
In Malachi 3.10, that verse talks about tithing. We see that open heaven as a type and a picture of unlimited access to God. He said, he said, I will open. He says, if you'll bring all your tithes into the storehouse, I will open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I don't know about you, but I'm a recipient for God to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on me that I can't handle. Amen. You get over to Matthew chapter number three. Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew three and verse number 16 and straightway out of the water. Bible says he went straightway up out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. In Malachi 3.10, the heavens being opened is a picture of unlimited access. Number two, in Matthew chapter three, it was a picture of unmistakable affirmation. God said, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's hard to argue with that. Sometimes God wants to open up the windows of heaven where he can confirm some things, make some things absolutely crystal clear. And you get over to the story of the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter number seven. And verse number 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Can I say it? In Acts 7, the windows being opened was a picture of unequaled approval. Surrounded by people that hated God, surrounded by people that didn't want to hear the word of God, they closed up, stopped up their ears, the Bible says, ran upon him with one accord. He was surrounded by a group of people that didn't want to hear the truth, didn't want to hear the preaching, didn't want to be reminded of the spiritual state that they were in. And what did Jesus do for Stephen? He opened the windows of heaven and he stood at the right hand of God to let Stephen know, I'm with you. Can I say it this morning? We're surrounded by wicked, perverse, and godless generation. Surrounded by people that don't want to hear what God's got to say. I want God to rend the heavens this morning if for no other reason than just to affirm in my heart that what we're doing is right and that God's blessing it in spite of all the opposition. Rend the heavens. I mean, we've got separation already. We're already isolated and alienated from family and from friends. We're the screwball on the job. We're the weirdo at the college. We're the crazy ones in the world. It's a blessing when God will open up the heavens and he will allow himself to identify with us and approve of us and give us some kind of a divine confirmation. Amen. And I'm not interested in God being on my side. I want to be on his side. But I believe that day when Stephen was being stoned, he looked up. The Bible says when he started talking, he had the face of an angel. Imagine what his face looked like when he saw the Son of God standing up on the right hand of God. And the heavens being opened. Kind of makes you wonder if he even felt the stones that killed him that day. He experienced the heavens being opened. I want God to rend the heavens for us this week. I want God to pour out his blessings. I want God this, this week to remove any obstacles between us and him. See, the prayer that was worded in chapter 64, in verse number one, then it says, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. What a statement. That thou wouldest come down. And we can make a whole lot of applications like we just did. Look at other places in the scripture where God opened the heavens and all the significance that that involved. But I believe without question in our text, he wanted God to rend the heavens so that his presence would be manifested in their midst. We see secondly, the presence that is wanted. The presence 
that is wanted. Look at what it says. It says, oh, that thou wouldest come down. Oh, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. It mentions his presence again in verse number two. And when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Again in verse number three, when thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. Several times in the first three verses, the emphasis is being placed on the presence of God being something that they desired. The rending of the heavens was a prayer for God's presence. I'm amazed really at the comments that I hear and things people say and things people post shows their ignorance about the very subject in which I'm talking about. Nobody believes in the omnipresence of God more than I do. God's everywhere all at the same time. But if, they, if, if, if God being omnipresent was the same as his presence being preeminent in a place, why would they pray this prayer? Right. Oh, that thou wouldest come down. Right. They're not denying the omnipresence of God. They are desiring an unquestionable manifestation of God's presence. Right. And God's presence isn't always manifested in the same way all at the same time in every place. You can say what you want to. You say what you want to. His presence is everywhere. But the presence they were praying for was not the average omnipresence of God. Why do you think he said that where two or three are gathered together, there will I be in the midst? When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, 8, they hid, the Bible says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Like that's even possible. But they were trying to. They didn't want to be in his presence. They didn't want to experience that closeness and that intimacy that we're talking about this morning. In Jonah chapter number one, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice in the same verse. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was running from God. Why? Because he was disobedient. And a disobedient uh, 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 Christian, a disobedient believer is not going to want to crave the presence of God. Any more than a child that's been disobedient all day is looking forward to daddy coming home from work. Those are days they want him to work overtime. Those are the days they want the boss to keep daddy on the job until they're in the bed. They don't want to see him. Come on, y'all. A prayer for the heavens to be opened was a prayer for the presence of God to be manifested. One of the keys to having a revival is when God's people stop running from the presence of the Lord and start running to and toward the presence of God. God wants to reveal himself. God wants to manifest himself. The problem is most people are just not interested in God's presence. They'd rather be with anybody doing anything than be in the presence of God. Can I say it? That's probably one of the biggest, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why a lot of Christians don't pray. Because to really pray, I mean to really pray, biblically pray, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You've got to enter into the presence of God to get your prayers answered. A lot of people would rather just not. Because it's very intimidating. I mean, Moses saw that burning bush. Turned aside to see and he got over there. And God said, the place where thou standest is holy ground. Take your shoes off. Something different about the presence of God. Amen. You won't, I used to hear my daddy say it all the time. I didn't understand it as a kid, but I do now. He says, you won't walk into the presence of God chewing your double bubble. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about that flippant, casual, irreverent approach to God. That's not going to happen. You find anywhere in the Bible where anybody ever encountered the presence of God, they fell on their face. They fell on their face. Amen. They fell Amen. on their face. Yeah. Amen. Fell on their face. Old Peter on top of Mount of Transfiguration, he saw Jesus transfigured. He fell on his face. It hit his face. There's something amazing about it. And I want it. I don't want to go to a church where the heavens are like brass, where God's presence is not real, where God's presence is not felt, where God's presence is not manifested. But let's look at what it says. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, watch this, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Write this down, number three, the proof that is warranted. I can tell you something this morning. When God shows up, things change. Yes, sir. God, when God shows up on the scene, it don't stay like it was. By the way, by the way, y'all still with me? If a spirit-filled Christian shows up, it ought to change things. On, he called us the light, did he not? Yes. He, he's, you're the light of the world. You turn a light on, things change. He says, you're the salt of the earth, did he not? You put salt on something, it changes it. God has asked all of us as Christians to be agents of change. Problem is the world's changing us, we're not changing the world. But let me back this train up. We're not talking about us showing up and making a change. We're talking about the God of heaven showing up and making a change. I promise you when God shows up, he does not assimilate. He does not, he does not condescend and assume the temperature of his environment. When God shows up, he changes things. And the prayer here is for God to show up and to present himself in such a way that there is an unmistakable manifestation of God's presence. Stuff like... The mountains flowing down. Come on, y'all. Twice in, this, in these verses, we find the phrase that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Verse number one and verse number three. What a statement. What a visual image we're given here. The, the reader is reminded of the supernatural power that God's presence has. That word flow down in that verse literally means to be worthless, to make vile, to be insignificant. 
He takes the mountains, reduces them to nothing. That's what it means. Over and over again in the scriptures, we find that when God shows up, mountains quake. I wish we had the time to go over to Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 17 and 18 when God said, don't let them touch the mountain. Don't let them touch the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die. The Bible says that God came down to meet with them. God came down to speak to them. And when he did, the Bible says the mountains was quaking, shaking. In Nahum chapter one, verse number five, the Bible says the mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein, when God shows up, he reduces mountains to rubble, to nothing. Can I say it this morning? We need God to rend the heavens. We need God this morning to come down and help the mountains in our life to flow down in his presence. I got to think about those mountains. The application that we can make this morning, going into this revival. God has the power when he shows up to change things that have been there forever. Just let this sink in just a minute. These mountains, they didn't just pop up last week. These mountains that he's talking about have been there since the beginning of time. God can change things that nobody thought could ever be changed. God rending the heavens and coming down can cause the mountains to shake and to crumble and to be made insignificant and nothing. He can cause the mountains to flow down at his presence. These mountains can be a picture of so many things this morning. Mountains of lifelong habits. Mountains of secret sins. Mountains of hidden activity. Mountains of weights and besetting sins. Mountains of unconfessed bitterness and anger and hatred that drown out your ability to forgive and to love. Mountains of satanic strongholds. If you think demon activity was prevalent in the Gospels, that was 2,000 years ago. When there was a splinter of the ways to invite satanic activity into your life that there is today. You read the ministry of Jesus Christ and everywhere he went, he cast out devils, cast out devils. Brother Sasser, Jesus cast out devils all the time. And that was before they had all the drugs that we've got today. The drugs. Sorcery. Necromancers. Witchcraft. Warlocks. Magic. The occult. That was without all of the doors that we open with social media and television and movies that allow and welcome and invite demonic activity in our minds and in our lives. 
A lot of people think they're struggling with depression. You're struggling. A lot of them struggling with demonic oppression. And I'm not, against, I'm not saying that people don't get depressed. I'm saying that a lot of people, are y'all still with me? I'm, I'm covering my bases here. I'm not making a bold statement. A lot of people that think they have a, a medical problem really has a spiritual problem. I'm telling you what, if God was to rend the heavens and come down, he could pour the mountains down in their life of satanic strongholds. Mountains of character flaws. Mountains of wrong thinking. That is a problem today. Why do you think that Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 was begging the people of God to let their minds be transformed? By the renewing of their mind because we have a problem today of unbiblical thinking. People make life-altering choices and decisions based on wrong thinking. Why do you think Philippians says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Mountains of completely unbiblical thought patterns. Mountains of unbiblical theology. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Misinterpreting scripture. Minimizing scripture and reappropriating scripture and misclassifying scripture and not understanding the principles behind the word of God will cause you and I a whole lot of problems in our life. You show me a bad lifestyle, I'll show you somebody with bad theology. One of the most distorted and one of the most misunderstood doctrines in the Bible is repentance. The missionary here Wednesday night talked about it in Russia. We got a lot of people in here that come from a heavy Catholic background where their idea of repentance is going into a confessional booth saying, I did it. And him saying, I absolve you. Say some Hail Marys and pray the rosary. I absolve you. And they walk out of that confessional booth and they feel good because they feel like they've cleaned their whiteboard only to go back out and do it all over again the next day. Repentance is turning from sin. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. We got a lot of people that are quick to confess, but there's not a whole lot of people that are turning from. That's bad theology. Mountains of unresolved marriage issues and problems. Mountains of, of relationship issues. We're talking about God's presence is able to help the mountains flow down. Are y'all still with me? God can deal with things that's been there forever. He can deal with things that look like they're absolutely permanent and immovable. When God shows up, he can cause the mountains to flow down. Mountains of ministry challenges. If you're involved in ministry, and many of you are, and I thank God for you. As we celebrate nine years at Calvary, one of the things that really God used to bring me here and and knit my heart with this church was the understanding of ministry. A group of people that knows what it's like to roll up their sleeves, trade their Crocs in for some work boots, and get into the trenches to do something for God. But I'm telling you what, every single day of my life, there's not a day that goes by, but when I'm not overwhelmed with the responsibilities of ministry, making decisions and having to make unbelievably weighty decisions only to go to bed and toss and turn all night and second guess my decisions. 
Brother Bittner, one thing I, one thing I, I tell people, I said, hey, the pastoring's a whole lot harder than it looks. And there's been a few times I looked at some people to second guess decisions I made and said, well, I don't appreciate the way you handle that. I don't agree with the way you handle that. Only for me to look at them and said, I'm not sure I agree with it either. But anytime you want to drive this bus, I'll scoot over and you can have it, buddy. I promise you, you'll make about two blocks and you'll be pulling over and saying, you can get back in this seat again. But the ministry, the mountains of ministry challenges, God can cause them to flow down in his presence. Nobody needs this this morning. I do. Mountains of unanswered prayer. Mountains of prayers that you're waiting for God to answer. God can cause those mountains to flow down in his presence. This could go on and on. This morning, I wonder, do we really want God to rend the heavens? Do we want God to remove every single obstacle between us and him and to grace us with his presence and come down in such a way that it has a life-changing, life-altering effect on us. The mountains flow down in his presence. Here's what I want to do this morning. We're not going to give an invitation. We're just going to all get down here and pray for revival for the next few minutes before we dismiss for church. Brother Adriel's going to get on the piano. I want you to gather with me in the altar this morning. And here's what I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me that God would rend the heavens, that God would come down that he would cause the mountains to flow down at his presence. You may have some mountains in your life. Everybody in here does. I'm sure of it. Everybody in here has got some mountains in their life that they need for God to just quake and shake and cause the mountains to be obliterated. Mountains that have obstructed your relationship, your fellowship, I should say, with God. If you're saved, if you're saved, our relationship with God is secure. But our fellowship with God's not always secure. I wonder this morning, is there anything in your life that you need God to deal with? We preached just Wednesday night on search my heart. Search my heart, oh God. Try the reins and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, help us this week to overcome lifelong obstacles. Help us this week to get victory over sin. Help us this week to get victory over unbiblical thought patterns and any behavior, Lord, that's not pleasing to you. I pray, God, this week that you would preserve the unity of Calvary Baptist Church. Lord, a church full of people from every possible background, walk of life, church, church background, church experiences, different stages of, of spiritual growth, different ages spiritually of converts, some from new converts to folks that's been saved 50 and 60 years. God, I pray this week that you would supernaturally hold back the devils of hell and unify our church. May we, Lord, approach you with humility. May we approach you this morning with a hunger and a desire for the presence of God in this place. We pray that the preacher, when he stands to preach every service this morning, tonight, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, that Brother Ingram would stand up here and, Lord, be overwhelmed at the liberty and the presence of God to be able to open up the Scriptures and declare to God's people what thus saith the Lord. Lord, may we not sit in our pews with a hardened heart, with a stiff neck. May we not sit there with pride in our hearts, Lord, and... Hold on to our sins 
with a, with, a, with a death grip and refuse to yield ourselves to the moving of God. I pray this week, Lord, that you'd take our church to higher ground. Do a work in my heart, Lord. Lord, I know, I know I need it. I pray that you'd search us and try us. See if there'd be any wicked way. Cleanse us, wash us. Cause God's people this week, Father, to be overwhelmed at your presence and allow God's people this week to praise you and to rejoice at your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, your patience, your long-suffering. I thank you, Lord, for being slow to anger. Thank you, Lord. Be merciful to us this week. We ask you, we invite you. We ask you and we invite you this morning to rend the heavens and to come down that the mountains might flow down at your presence. We ask this prayer in the precious name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.